You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZWLP Conroe and 106.1 KZCCLP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Extension Hour. I'm Amy Ressler, County Extension Agent for Family and Community Health. Happy New Year. This is our first show of 2020, and it's really great to be here because this is an extra special um, program, I think, because we have a very special guest. Um, of course, we've got Brandon Gregson with us, and he's our County Extension Agent for Agriculture. But we have Dr. Dan Hale, and he is the Associate Director for Agricultural and Natural Resources and the Path to the Plate Coordinator with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. So, of course, this is the Extension Hour. We talk about all kinds of things with extension. And Brandon's been on a few different times with uh, different um, guests that we've had. Dr. Hale, we love having like um, our volunteers, our committee members to talk about some of the programs that we um, do. In fact, we call it people programs and partnerships is really what we highlight on this show. So it's great to have a people here, a, a people. <laughs> you got a real person. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we always have real people, but you're like, you're like, you know, you're. All of our guests are special and important, well, but um, yeah. <laughs> but it is really nice to have an associate director here with us. So thank you so much for making the trip to college uh, from College Station. You know, sometimes when we're like out in the community and we say we're from Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, people will ask, "Oh, did you come down from College Station?" And we, no, we are right here yes. in Montgomery County. So our office is at 9020 Airport Road, and um, we had the opportunity to give you a little tour of the the you grounds there. Facility, I th- you're really fortunate. Your county does a great job supporting you and you have awesome volunteers i was really impressed we do yeah Absolutely. yeah the master gardeners do just a great job with all of the grounds there and then we have a lot of other uh, volunteers as well that help out in the community um but just you know because the master gardeners are concentrated right there um on the grounds so you can you see the fruits of their labor like mm-hmm. literally <laughs> the well, fruits of what well, they've lo- been doing a lot of that has to do with some of the the leaderships our agents you know in this county are awesome and so we really are very fortunate to have you two with us uh, and this is a county that does a lot of special things. It's kind of yeah. a model county around the state. Oh, well, thanks. Nice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, yeah, so it's Brandon and I, and then we've got Michelle Mahalik. She's our 4-H um, agent. We have Jan- Justin Sines, who is our urban youth development agent. We have Michael Potter, who's our horticulture agent. We have Michelle Scaife, who's our BLT, Better Living for Texans agent. We have two program assistants. We have an awesome support staff. Um, so, yeah, we, mm-hmm. we are it's a great you, and you have a lot of diversity in this county you know sure. if you look across texas we have 254 counties right we have extension or people like you present in almost every county and you know this particular county because of houston on one side and then you have really open spaces as you go further north sure. you know you've got cattle you've got you know gardens you've got crops you have all sorts of things and then plus you add on the family and community health aspect of it there's, there's a whole host of things that you have to be responsible for as agents as well as trying to develop programs to serve the people of Texas in this county. Right, right. And that's, yeah, we, we, we love what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, like I said, we're really happy to have you here. So um, before we get too far into it, and um, we, like Brandon said, sometimes we end up chasing rabbits on this because <laughs> we like start talking about something and we can make go off on a, a topic. But let's introduce yourself. So tell us a little bit about your background. So currently you're the associate director, but you've been with Extension yeah. for a while. So, you know, I've worked pretty much on the food and livestock side of the agricultural industry for over 34 years. I came to Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Back in 1985, so I'm an old-timer around here, 
And so I've served really in many different roles, working with consumers on the consumer side and helping to understand where food comes from and the health aspects of, of incorporating different types of foods into their diet and the importance of dietary patterns versus just specific foods. And then also talked about, uh, you know, actually working with cattle producers and livestock producers and making sure they produce a safe, wholesome product for the consumer. And, you know, their, their goal is they want to do that. And so I, my goal is to teach best practices on how to do that. So that's what I've done for the last 34 years until about September, mm-hmm. where I took on this new responsibility, <laughs> got the call. And, you know, I, basically because it's such a wonderful team and they're great people like you to work with, I decided I want to see if I can just help continue to bring us together and make us uh, a really cohesive unit across the state uh, and make extension really viable and um, relevant to every person in the state of Texas. Yeah. So um, extension has been around for 100 years, more more than 100 years now. Oh, yes. So um, we've got a very rich history of what we do. But, you know, I, I'm always... Um, not amazed, but, you know, it's, I, I find it interesting that sometimes when we're out in the community and we talk about working for extension or the extension service and what we do, a lot of people are sometimes surprised to even know that that's something that um, is offered, that it's available or, you know, why it exists and that kind of thing. So, you know, we really enjoy yeah. telling people, well, let me tell you about Texas A&M mm-hmm. is land grant university, but, and, yeah. and, you know, explaining the whole system. Yeah, people a hundred years ago had some great vision and trying to extend what we learn in that case at Texas A&M University, that's part of the land grant land grant system where you have teaching, research, and extension put together, mm-hmm. and extend what we learn throughout the land grant system to the people of the state of Texas to help improve their lives, the quality of life, and also their prosperity, and and also make make them have a healthier, long longer life. That's our goal. Right. So our tagline we say is helping Texans better their lives, and so that's really what it's all about. And so one of the ways that we do that is through our Path to the Plate initiative that we have, yes. which is also part of your title. So I mentioned um, Associate Director for Agri Natural Resources and Path to the Plate Coordinator, which was a, you, you kind of started doing that a little bit before you so became the Associate Director about position. Almost two years now on mm-hmm. that. So you know, I've been doing that really all my career, trying to help consumers understand where their food comes from, the health aspects of that food product, of those food products. And then, you know, really what I saw is all this information that people were potentially receiving when they Googled things, for example, on on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. So really? who would have thought? <laughs> and I know you all deal with that on a daily basis. Right. That's why your yeah. office is so valuable and people ought to realize the, you know, kind of the treasure that they have. Uh, and being able to call you to ask you questions and then also just email and all, all sorts of other ways that they can get in contact with you. Right. But, um, you know, where do they find unbiased, scientific, reliable information on all sorts of things about food production? And so that's where Path to the Plate came about. We mm-hmm. wanted to help try to extend that information uh, and help people better understand all the way from the dirt to the plates in some cases, or from the shirt, you know, from the, sh- uh, from the cotton to the shirt. Mm-hmm. And we even do outside of the food aspect, just really understand where their food comes from. Many consumers, it appears, has a real disconnect with agriculture, where at one time, you know, everybody had probably a grandfather or an uncle or somebody that was on a farm. Now, they say it's less, less than two, three percent actually have a connection with production agriculture. Right. And, and they want to know. Now, people, if you look at surveys, they want to know more about how food is raised and prepared. They want to have a better idea of and whether they should feel good or not about the food that they're eating. Sure. 
Sure. And, you know, one of the things that I like to say um, when we talk about people's relationship to agriculture and uh, maybe not a direct um, relationship to production agriculture, like you mentioned, um, that maybe we're getting a little bit away from that. But I always like to remind people, if you eat and you wear clothes, you're involved in agriculture. It's it's definitely a part of your life. And I think uh, interesting what you mentioned, too. You've been doing this pretty much your whole career. It's just the last couple of years. We've kind of put a label on it and called it path to the plate, just to um, really put an emphasis on um, the initiative that we have to make sure that consumers understand that connection between agriculture and health. So you might do a dinner tonight program. Sure. And and I know that's really a a popular thing that many counties do or cooking schools or even master gardeners. You could actually incorporate into that uh, some health aspects of you know, the food that you're eating tonight and that we're preparing, these are the aspects from vitamin A and protein and, and the different things it provides to your diet. And then at the same time, have somebody come in and talk about how did I grow this and why do I do the things that I do? Mm-hmm. And so we're, those are the types of programs that we're trying to put together along with, you know, YouTubes, videos and, and websites and, uh, and other things that we're trying to help people to connect through the Internet, maybe more non-traditional audiences and show them how they can connect with this kind of information. Hopefully, I feel like Texas A&M, our, we strive to be un, uh, unbiased mm-hmm. and uh, very reliable and a very kind of truth uh, gathering when we try to put materials together. And so at least our data would show that we're, we are very trusted around the state as far mm-hmm. as a source. And so anything that has .tamu.edu, I think they can feel fairly comfortable that that we are a trusted source. Sure. Yeah, because there's, uh, like you mentioned, a lot of misinformation on the Internet. And there's a you know a lot of people just out to make a quick buck. And sometimes they do that by scaring people with inaccurate information. Um, so what I want to do is talk about that a little bit more because we've got you here for um, the full hour today with the Extension Hour. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of those um, hot topics that come up with uh, Path to the Plate. And, of course, Brandon is a Path to the Plate champion, yep. as am I. Yep. So we'll... Uh, talk a little bit more about that, but we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk a little bit more about our people, our programs, and our partnerships right here on the Extension Hour. Family and community health programs provide science based education designed to improve the overall health and wellness of individuals, families, and communities developed by experts and delivered locally. Topics include child and adult health, nutrition, child care, financial management, passenger and community safety, and building strong families, all encouraging lifelong health and well-being for every person, every family, and every community. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make their lives better. A Lone Star Community Radio is Montgomery County's radio station with talk, music, weather, and traffic for Montgomery County. Have a question or comment about one of our shows? Want to know how to reach a host? Just contact the station at IRLoneStar.com or call in and leave a message at 936-647-3776. Get involved with your community with Lone Star Community Radio. Bell Institute, a 501c3 nonprofit, began in 2014 with a mission to strengthen the future of veterans through leadership and entrepreneurship training. We've invested over 1,400 hours of training in our veterans while connecting them with community entrepreneurs and leaders. Our mission is to continue investing in our veterans 
who have given so much for our country. Please join us in our mission by visiting velinstitute.org. That's velinstitute.org. Hispanic Chamber Connections with Dr. Carlos Sanchez, president of the Woodlands-Conroe Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, featuring event announcements, member highlights, and more. Tuesdays at 1 p.m., broadcasting from the heart of Conroe, Texas, on IRLoneStar.com and Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1. And we are back with our first show of 2020. This is the Extension Hour. I've got Brandon Gregson and we have Dr. Dan Hale. And I really talked you up and you were living up to your, um, to, yeah. You're, oh you're doing boy. a great job, Dr. Yeah, Hale. We're well, glad you're here. Yeah, I'm so, glad I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about, um, about all things Extension, but Path to the Plate is an initiative that we have. And we mentioned before we went to break how it's really what kind of you've been doing your entire career. Um, but we've just recently, um, as an agency, sort of put a label on um, this initiative initiative that we have that's called Path to the Plate, which is really about connecting um, agriculture and health, because a lot of people really don't understand um, like where their food comes from. And we talked about um, some misconceptions that, um, you know, goodness, not everything on the Internet is true. So um, oh, who would have thought? Right. <laughs> Often we get, well, I heard on the Internet or I read, you I know, right now this. I read somewhere usually means mm-hmm. and there is a lot of good information online. I mean, we've got great access to really good information. But at the same time, there is a lot of misinformation out there. So um, part of what we do with Path to the Plate is, is kind of helping to, to wade through that. So, um, you know, you mentioned before that people don't have to be afraid of going to the grocery store, the things in the grocery store. And that's, I think, where some of that misinformation comes from. Is there some, um, you know, I call it kind of fear mongering that we're afraid of certain types of food, but um, you mentioned during the break. Yeah. yeah, If we're not careful, you know, what, what ends up happening, people market one product against another, basically using the fear tactics Mm. that you're talking about. And I think it's important for, uh, for the public to just understand it's more the combination of foods that you eat than a specific food that you eat and even where it was produced and how it was produced mm-hmm. in the united states we have an extremely safe food supply sure. we also have a very plentiful food supply a food supply that has its checks and balances through regulatory agencies both on the state and federal level that look at it on a and test it and study it and make sure that it's safe that it's uh going to be a helpful product for the consumers you know, a, a grocery store is not going to offer a food that's going to hurt you. So it's more in what you do with that food and how you combine those foods. And I think what you probably and, and Brandon, too, have, Amy and Brandon have talked about is, you know, variety and moderation and dietary patterns is what's important. You know, they talk about my plates, which includes mm-hmm. protein, which is extremely important, whether that's dairy or meat products or other plant protein sources. And then you have fruits and vegetables where you get vitamins and minerals from and, and also fiber and other important things in your life. So it's the combination of those foods that you consume on a daily basis more than a, a specific food. And then also, you know, when I talk about meat products, for example, I talk about if you want to eat healthy meat, and meat can be very healthy in a diet, it's what you do, the three, what I call the three Ps. Mm-hmm. The first P is prepare, uh, pick the right cut. So pick lean cuts. Second one is prepare it properly. Deep fat fried is probably not the way if you want a healthy product. Right. Okay, just added fat and added calories to your diet. And then eating in the right proportion. So you put, you know, prep, uh, pick the right cuts prepare it properly, and eat in the right proportions, when you put those three things together, it really is a healthy food item that 
It provides a whole host of nutrients and mm-hmm. protein, iron, zinc, and vitamin B complex, which you wouldn't get from any other food in some cases. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, you know, that is just one element. So you don't just eat meat. Of course, you're going to eat fruits and vegetables. We provide mm-hmm. other vitamins and minerals that you won't get from meat products. So it's a combination of other protein foods. It's that combination of foods that's really important uh, as you look at it and how you prepare it and then how you consume it is really important in that that whole paradigm. Sure. And I, I like to remind people when I'm doing nutrition classes, you know, life is all about choices. And there's a lot of choices that we can make. And, um, you know, sometimes we think that uh, good nutrition or eating healthy has to be really complicated and you have to follow these really strict rules. But I think that you um, boiled it down, like, really nicely. There's It's just a matter of uh, moderation and, and choices and making those better choices yeah. more often. Usually, you yeah. know, if you have protein source and fruit and vegetables, you combine that. And you need a variety of protein. Meat is definitely what we call a complete protein that has all the amino acids in the right balance. So it is an easy food to consume and get all the amino acids that you need that your body will not produce every single day. Mm-hmm. If you want to go a plant-based, then you're going to have to combine several different protein plant sources to get that same complete protein. Mm-hmm. You just have to know that. It's uh, A lot of times when you exclude food, you think, I just have to exclude that, and then I'll just eat more. Generally, you end up eating more French fries or carbs <laughs> or whatever yeah. that are what empty calories, and so it really doesn't help you on that side. You know, I'd be interested to hear just from Brandon as to what are some of the things that you hear about food production, though. That's probably another big hot topic in this county, isn't right, it? Right, yeah. And that's something that I was just thinking about. And going through the path to the plate trainings that we went to, one of the common themes that I saw, whether we were in Westlaco or we were over in the Panhandle or uh, Central Texas, the protocols that our foods go through, whether it's fruits and vegetables or protein sources like our meats and dairies, the protocols that those things go through is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one instance, one example was when we were um, in the warehouse and it was citrus and they were talking about oranges and grapefruits, to hear them say that when they're picking those grapefruits, if one hits the ground, they can't use it. That's right. They can't touch the ground. I mean, that that's how... Um, how far they take it in terms of our food safety, mm-hmm. you know. And then when you go on the, the meat side of things and going to see it processed and harvested and whatnot, the care that they take from uh, live and on the hoof all the way through the packaging process, the care of the, the animal itself is just amazing, you know. And there's a lot of things that you hear that come in the office, misnomers about how things are handled, um, health concerns as such, um, you know, ethics in terms of animal um, care uh, that you really can debunk when you go in and you um, actually see what the real protocols are um, in food production. Yeah, you know, I think it starts with, you know, as I said, I've been involved with this for 34 years. Mm -hmm. So in 34 years, I've visited with a lot of agricultural producers. and, And by far, their heart is to be a steward of whether it's animals or the land, water, even the human resources that are involved in the operation of producing that. It really is a stewardship model. That's the heart of almost everyone that I come across. And in addition to that, they're not just wanting to do short-term gains. That's kind of what makes a farmer. If you look at most farmers in Texas, you're looking at two, three, four, sometimes five and six generation farmers. Mm -hmm. Their goal is not only to produce food today, but to have something 
that they can leave as a legacy for the next generation in their family. And when you put that mindset together and then from that build onto it, all the checks and balances from the safeguards that are put in place to provide a safe food, I think most of the public would be just amazed at regardless of how it's produced, just what goes in, what's involved in order to produce a very safe and effective and healthy product for mm -hmm. a customer. I say effective because they're going to use things to produce that product in as efficient a way as possible. They want to use as little water as they can. Mm -hmm. If they have to use fertilizer, they that costs a lot of money. They're only going to use what they need. And then also they're going to follow the FDA food and drug uh, regulations and the EPA regulations as to how that is used, where it is used, and then how long a period you have to wait before you can harvest that crop. And generally that's all done even before the fruits of that plant is grown when they put, uh, if they use the herbicide to kill weeds or if they use the fertilizer to help it grow more quickly. Those are the things that they would actually uh, then, you know, test on the other side of it to make sure that that has, uh, that there are not the residues and things like that's left over. But that's all done very early in the production scheme. Mm. And so by far, we do have the safest food supply in the world. And one of the things that we talked about um, earlier was the, the amount of growth that we have. Uh, I mean, here in Montgomery County, but throughout Texas, uh, the population is growing throughout the world. Population is growing extremely fast. And that's a lot of people to feed. So people are taking land. So that means that there's less farmland available. Mm -hmm. So um, sustainability is another um, really big, important issue too. Like, like how are we going to continue to grow the amount of food that we need to, to feed the number of people that will need to be fed now and in the future? Yeah. So I, I utilizing know, technology. This, you may have some projections on this county, but mm -hmm. I know Texas, they're talking about 45 million people by the year 2050. Right now we have what about 27 million people. Just imagine another 23 million people coming mm -hmm. into the states up to that. And mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I would bet that this particular county is going to be a county that is going to have a phenomenal growth over the next 20 years. And so that's what we call urban sprawl. So mm -hmm. now we have less land that we can use for raising crops. And I'd like to hear Brandon maybe talk a little bit about what they actually raise here in this county mm. as far as from cattle or from, from even cotton, whether they even have that here. But you think about all that is raised here, now we're going to be pushing that further out. And not all land can be used to raise crops. Right. So I used to think dirt was dirt. You know, and you could put anything out there, add a little water, and you got it. No, there there are specific soils that you can use for growing. And if you use try to grow in areas that don't have those soils, you overuse everything as far as resources, as far as water and potentially fertilizer, because it just does not have the capacity to sustain that. So as Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, our goal is, is to try to develop technologies that will help maximize the yield and still maintain a very healthy, safe food supply for the consumer. Yeah, sure. It, so Justin Sines, our um, co-worker who works with Urban Youth Development, was uh, helping a 4-H member um, do a presentation that related um, his topic to, or I mean, his, sorry, his major project in 4-H to agriculture, how it affects agriculture. So he, he doesn't raise animals. He doesn't um, grow crops. He does robotics. And so they were talking about, um, Justin had done some research and was helping the 4-H member um, talk about this in the presentation. But um, what used to be called precision agriculture, but now it's called digital ag agriculture, which is the amazing things that te 
technology can do in terms of um, handling those crops and um, applying pesticides like only where it's needed, not over applying it, knowing exactly how much water like each plant needs. Like it can be that specific yes. so that that increases the sustainability of the, the land and what's growing and the, the output. Yes. Can you imagine a robot that right now they have these robots at Texas A&M, which they're now trying to adapt to uh, commercial settings where that is rolling down aisles and they're finding a, a uh, weed and they're either pulling that weed or they're spraying that one specific weed in that one specific place mm -hmm. and not spraying the plant at all. So, I mean, there's that kind of technology and then satellite technology and drone technology or assisted un un unarmed uh not unarmed, unpiloted <laughs> aircraft. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, unmanned. All those technologies will actually do almost the same thing that we saw when we went from a mule to a tractor. Mm. We saw a huge growth in as far as productivity of agriculture just in that. And I th we're going to see that happen again. And that's mm -hmm. fortunate that we have these technologies that are out there uh, that are going to help us produce a, again on less resources, less water, less less land, mm -hmm. produce basically the same amount of food. Unfortunately, we have to grow even more food. So so we've got to continue that, that uh, pursuit of trying to develop the best technologies that are safe and produce wholesome, safe food for the mm -hmm. consumer. And so when we talk about safety, and one of the things that people are often concerned about with safety is the, the pesticides that are applied. Um, and so we can talk more about that um, in detail. We'll talk about organics and, um, you know, the, the differences or the lack of differences. I mean, sometimes people mm -hmm. think that they're much more different than they are. Um, but what we were just talking about with that um, digital agriculture, that precision agriculture, it's only um, being applied where it absolutely has to be applied. And so that even that makes that the app the application of pesticide to a plant even less. So, um, yes. you know, for those people who are concerned about that, um, that is can be comforting as well. Yes. Well, when you think about herbicide and pesticide use, a producer does not want to use those things. I mean, that, that goes against your bottom line if you're thinking about profitability, mm -hmm. um, whether it's labor or it's, you know, just out-of-pocket um, money. Um, and you know it takes away from your income and in at the very end so um, those things aren't applied unless they absolutely have to be done and they're in specific amounts so on specific things but they aren't um, they're they're not done just because they can be done so it's very important for people to realize that those things that are done they are necessary and they're done in just precise m amounts to keep them healthy and, and stick by standard mm -hmm. because that goes back to our U.S. protocol in terms of our standards for our food quality, you know, mm -hmm. as uh, compared to other countries that might not be as strict. Our U.S. food supply has very strong standards, very strict standards for herbicide and pesticide use that you must adhere to as a producer. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and you know, of course, it, they all you can't even use it unless it's been approved by both the Environmental Protection Agency and the Food and Drug Administration, and in some cases, USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service. We have three agencies that oversee the use of whether it's animal health products or the pesticides, insecticides. You know, Brandon, that's a good point. So you think about well, it's the the, the actual cost of the insecticide or pesticide is really pretty expensive mm -hmm. but then you have to add to it all the fuel costs of these big tractors going over this land applying it and then also plus the the 
the person that's driving that vehicle. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a huge expense when you have to actually utilize it. So, and if you overdo it, unlike what most people think, you don't make it grow better. You no. actually make it grow worse, and sometimes you kill the plant. So you mm-hmm. have to do it at the precise amount that FDA, EPA have said. And you want to do that because that's the right thing to do and because it actually is the best thing to do from a production standpoint. And in animal agriculture, the same rules apply. You know, you don't do it because you just can do it. You do it when you have to do it, and you do it in the right specific amounts. And we'll just throw it out there when we're talking about injecting an animal with something, whether it's an antibiotic or or something uh, for health and wellness of that animal. You do it because you have to not because you want to. Mm -hmm. And there's a cost associated with that that a producer would rather not incur. And um, as a cattle producer myself, I I don't find it fun or entertaining in any way to go out and have to give shots to my livestock. I like to keep them healthy and happy um, without the use of any type of drug. So, but sometimes it's absolutely necessary. And if it is, there are protocols to follow and there are also withdrawal times for those things to be out of an animal system if they are going into the, the food chain for the consumers. Yeah. So. so we've touched on a couple of topics that I think are um, sources of fear for consumers, um, the, the pesticides and the injections um, and that kind of thing. So what I want to do is uh, talk about that. Uh, more in depth and provide a little bit more information um, to hopefully ease some of those fears that uh, people will have. So hopefully you'll stay tuned. Come back in just a minute. We'll um, talk some more about Path to the Plate and uh, keeping our food supply safe and nutritious and, and making choices on the food that we eat. We're talking with Dr. Dan Hale and we've got Brandon Gregson with us and this is Extension Hour. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our determination, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. A Lone Star Community Radio is ready for the summer. If you or anyone you know is looking for summer internship opportunities, Lone Star Community Radio is a great place to grab the mic and be on the air. Lone Star Community Radio offers a great opportunity to those interested in learning about the radio world all year round. Be an on-air personality, talk show producer, or YouTube TV podcast editor. Contact the station at info at IRLoneStar.com or call the station's message line at 936-647-3776. What is homelessness? Have you seen parents struggle to find a job without having transportation or childcare? What about the children sleeping in cars with nothing to eat? Families shouldn't have to struggle to survive and children should not be homeless. Family Promise of Montgomery County serves the needs of homeless families and their children. Learn about ways you can help and learn about partnership opportunities at www.familypromiseofmc.org or call our day center at 936-441-8778. 
Hey guys, this is Connor. This is Dick. This is Chris. And we're with the Ticket Stub Podcast every Thursday live at noon on 104.5 and 106.1 FM in the Conroe area. Also, anytime at IRLoneStar.com. You go to IRLoneStar.com backslash TTS. You can find all of our social media. And don't forget, we give away two tickets to the Grand Theater on every show. If you like movies and you like complaining or celebrating anything that has to do with the silver screen, check out the Ticket Stub Podcast and join us every Thursday at noon o'clock on Lone Star Community Radio. And we are back with the Extension Hour. We're here on Fridays, 1 to 2 p.m. Um, it is live on 104.5 and 106.1, and then also on IRLoneStar.com. And then also we're on Facebook Live. So, Dr. Hale, do you got any Facebook friends? You must do. do a shout out. I do. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> and then um, also we uh, post it on YouTube so people can go back and watch it too. So, you okay. know, what was that that Dr. Hale said about? Yeah, let's go check that out. Yeah. And then what was that that Brandon said about injecting his cows? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I'm sure that that's some, for some people that would cause alarm. What? You're injecting my animals. I knew it all along. That's what's wrong with America. So, <laughs> um, and we That's know. what makes us good steward of our, yeah. of our livestock. Like I said, you don't want to give shots, but just like when you're sick or your child's sick, and sometimes you've got to administer medicine because they can't get over it on their own, whether it's an antibiotic or, uh, you know, a pain medicine to help them get over something. You do that, they get over it, everything's good, but you don't like to do it. It costs you money to do it. It costs mm-hmm. you time to do it. There's a lot of work involved in, in, you know, getting them secured to get in there and get that shot. Along the lines of giving shots, uh, in extension, we do programs to teach people how to properly do that. In mm-hmm. February, we're having an injection site protocol workshop for our kids that raise livestock and their families. And the whole point of that, working with extension specialists and our extension veterinarians, is to come in and show them if you have to, if you absolutely have to give an injection uh, to your livestock, where do you do it? How do you do it properly? How do you do it safely? Um, Labels are an important part, you know, following the labels to the T. So. Right. And an individual uh, producer, when we're talking specifically about cattle right now, right. so the beef yeah. industry, because um, there, there's a lot of confusion, too, between different types of animals like, you know, the chickens and the mm-hmm. those that are, you know, hormone free and antibiotic free. And we can talk about that, too. Sure. But, um, but also the industry wide that that's true as well. That yeah, about absolutely. So it's not getting into the food supply. Right. Right. So uh, bottom line. I think it's probably important for people to understand that. I think it would be helpful if they understand why do we use them. Well, we see an animal that's sick. I personally believe it's inhumane to allow that animal to continue to be sick and potentially die. A lot of times, um, one of the more common ones is a respiratory issue. Mm-hmm. Just like there's weather changes and people get sick, you end up having you know, pneumonia and things like that. I, I, you know, we don't want that animal to die. And so what we'll do is we'll call a veterinarian in and we'll ask him, well, what should we do to treat that animal? So this is a doctor of veterinary medicine that's, you know, maybe a Texas A&M that's studied for 10 years and now they're practicing and they, based just like a prescription, we don't call it a prescription, but it's called a script and they just write a script and we are able, or they'll sell us the antibiotic, the veterinarian will, and we'll use that at the prescribed rate, the prescribed dose, and also know that that animal cannot go to market until that antibiotic has been totally eliminated from the animal system in the first place. Mm-hmm. Those antibiotics have been approved by the Food and Drug Administration using the same exact protocol that you'd use for human antibiotics. 
Also, the, another big, big mis misnomer is that people have the idea that we're using human antibiotics on livestock. Mm -hmm. The majority, vast majority, well over 90, 95% of the antibiotics that are used are specifically for livestock only. We don't get into the, the certain classes of human uh, antibiotics and utilize those because we don't want to develop and, and actually have a potential of resistance in that. So there, then on the other side, there are people that test the meat for antibiotic residue. So when they say, well, this meat doesn't have any antibiotics, no meat, virtually no meat has any antibiotics in it. Mm -hmm. And it's just not there. We, and that's tested on a, on a routine basis to make sure that that's the case. So you, who tests USDA Food Safety Inspection Service does random testing to make sure that that's what's happening. And if there is a violation, if there happen to be one, they go back to the farmer and they work them out and there's potential jail time and legal you know issues if they they do find it so it is something not only the right thing to do but it also there's a lot of good reasons to use antibiotics to make sure that the animal stays stays healthy and happy as brandon mentioned uh, a little earlier in the program so we're talking about injections but another thing that i think sometimes people maybe get confused with you know injections and antibiotics and organics and gmos that's another thing that comes up fairly often um, and some concern about gmo food so genetically modified organisms um, let's talk a little bit about what the gmo system uh, what what is it and what does that mean for our food supply so what what they might have discovered is they might have discovered in one plant that this plant seems to be immune to a certain type of pest so a certain insect that will not attack that. And then they discover, why is that? Well, it has this particular gene in this particular place on this plant. And so they take that particular gene out of that plant and they put it into another plant. It has nothing to do with the corn. If they did it in corn, for example, it would have nothing to do with a corn kernel. Corn kernel, as far as nutrition, uh, chemical analysis would be exactly the same between an animal that had, had a GMO versus one that had not. The only difference is, is that one little bit, really splice of gene that was put in there, so now this plant is also immune to that particular insect. Whoa, guess what? That means we use less insecticide on that plant. It is a win-win situation. That You don't have to use the energy that's required to put the injection. You don't have to use the time from the person, and you don't have to pay for the uh, insecticide itself. And so it's a win-win situation it allows that plant to grow more productively with fewer inputs into that plant. So that's why they do those things. Now that, again, has been approved by both Environmental Protection Agency, just every GMO that's been being used, and there's only, I think, 10 of them that have been approved, eight that actually are in production uh, in, in, uh, in the world. And so cotton would be an example of one of those potentially, and corn could be one of those, and soy products could be one of those. Um, but there's, there's not that many out there. And so what that ends up doing is allowing, uh, they, they have been approved by the Environmental Protection Agency and the Food and Drug Administration uh, before they're allowed to be utilized as a seed. So you can't use a GMO seed unless they've gone through that approval process. So, you know, when you then you kind of step back, okay, so what is the danger? Well, if I eat the, if it's a corn plant, if I eat the corn, there's no difference in how I digest that corn from that plant versus another plant. So would it say it's safe? Yeah, well, there's a, a group of over 200 scientists that the National Academy of Science and Technology in the U.S., and then another group of over 100 scientists in the uh, European Union 
have all looked at the last 20, 25 years worth of data because we've had GMO corn at least for that long, and they show that it, there is no human health issue whatsoever. Mm. Well, what about you know other um, plants or other insects and things? And again, that's been tested by EPA, who just in the last couple of years reapproved some of these technologies, and it, it comes up for a uh, every so so often they come up for approval again because they've looked at the latest data and said it still looks uh, to be safe from that standpoint. So you put all that together, you know, we believe it's a technology that will help f feed more people mm -hmm. uh, with fewer resources and less inputs such as in insecticides. Sure. Right. And I think an interesting thing too in the, um, you know, just taking a tour of the grocery store, you're likely to see a lot of labels that say non-GMO. And you mentioned there's 10 that are approved. There's eight that are actually in production of food products that could be GMO. But you see it on all kinds of things that like are not or wouldn't be lots GMO. Yeah, lots. yeah. And they put it there because consumers don't know what it's in. It's just kind of like gluten free. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's only gluten in a few products, you know, anything that, you know, but few few different products but you see gluten on meat well of course you know meat <laughs> products have no gluten not even right. potential they don't have gmos they may have eaten gmo corn but isn't it wonderful that that animal has a liver and that you know is able and so four different stomachs there's, there's nothing yeah. <laughs> and and so there's it, it there's nothing different about the meat period so it's non-gmo meat so mm -hmm. so there's and if you look at different types of uh, fruit it'll say non-gmo well there's no fruit that's ever been approved for gmo uh, for that product. So again, it's a, it, it brings confusion consumers, but that's why I really like to say that if you really, if it's presented in the grocery store, it is safe to eat. What I see quite often people saying, well, I can't have my, uh, fruits and vegetables for my kids because I can't buy organic. Okay. I can buy conventional. It's half the price, but I can't buy these. Well, what's, now my child is not getting the vitamins C or vitamin A, not getting the vitamin K, not getting the minerals that that, that child needs. That's much worse, much worse. And there is no down downsize uh, to eating any of the food products that you find in a grocery store. Lettuce from one source versus lettuce from another source, there is no difference in the nutrition and health of those two products because they've all gone through a very rigorous production system that makes sure that that food is healthy when it's presented to the grocery store. Sure. And I think another important uh, topic that you just touched on, too, is the dietary patterns. And it, kind of we started out talking about that, the things that you choose to eat. And um, as I mentioned, life is all about choices, and you can make choices about what you eat. And for some people, um, organic and GMO, non-GMO may be the choice that they make and yes. you know in many cases they have that luxury of, of yes, making that right. decision but what you were just talking about um, low income or families that are strapped for for money feeling like they can't feed their kids fruits and vegetables because of the cost of of organics or the cost of eating healthy but you know we sometimes we've done um comparisons you know a bag of chips compared to the cost of an apple is actually the apple's probably less expensive. And so in some cases, eating healthy is is, um, is just as uh, inexpensive, if not less expensive than yeah, um, eating something else. So, yeah. and, and I think if they really looked at the production systems, they'll see they're not that much different. There are pesticides, right, Brandon? There are pesticides that are approved for organic use as well as non-organic. So whether it's a synthetic pyrethrin or if it's something that you get from marigold, mm -hmm. that actually is the exact same compound that you grind up 
and you extract and then you put that on the plants, that's organic. But if you use that actually made from through a synthetic process, then it's not organic, even though you're using the same exact compound on that. So I don't know if you can think of some other examples well, that's, of that's that. What I tell people a lot is there's really, a lot of times it's family that we're talking about this with. There's really no difference in the production, um, the value that went into the production of that crop, or um, the nutritional value. When you look across the board, it really kind of boils down to what it took for that producer to achieve this label versus this label. And a lot of times it's very complicated to achieve an organic label, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that this is a more nutritious product than this one down here that's not labeled as an, an organic. Mm -hmm. They're really the same product. Right. So. There's a halo effect that goes around the word organic, and people have learned that and marketed mm -hmm. that way. There's a research study sure. that uh, gave bananas to a group of actually stu college students, and they said, this is organic, this is not, and they asked them how to taste it, and they asked them which one they thought was healthier, and guess what? They actually secretly were the same banana, but the one that had organic was, you know, by far the best tasting, best everything. Mm -hmm. So it's a halo effect that happens, and it's a marketing deal, but... I have to say that if you want to buy organic, then mm -hmm. that, that, that's, that's yeah. great. That's your right. You feel better about it. It really is very much a feel-good thing. And so if that's the case, and you can afford that. But I hope that consumers will understand that they can feel good about the other more commercial production of the fruits and vegetables uh, and serving that to that their family and that their family will be healthy and have a good dietary pattern that they can now you know, stay healthy and have a good immune system and grow normally and, and have good cognitive abilities when they're in school and all of that. Right. So there's, there's enough stuff to worry about and stress about without having to worry about everything that you're, you're eating. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. Some, a few last thoughts, things that we want to um, leave people with um, when we talk about terms of uh, path to the plate. We've got Dr. Dan Hale and we've got Brandon Gregson and Amy Ressler. And we this is the Extension Hour. We're here talking about all things Extension, our people, our programs, our partnerships. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service is all about extending knowledge and providing solutions. We do that by using science-based information to create high-quality and relevant education for the people of Texas. More importantly, this outstanding education is delivered locally, right here in our county. We encourage lasting and effective change that helps our communities and our county thrive. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make their lives better. A Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show with monthly and weekly slots available on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 647 3776 to take your first step into the radio world. Are you interested in learning more about preparing quick, healthy, and safe meals for your family? Would you like to spend time with others learning tips and tricks, along with practicing and tasting nutritious food? 
If so, the On the Road to Healthy Living Mobile Cooking School is for you. Call Amy Ressler at Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service at 936-539-7825 to find a class near you or volunteer to host a class. Hey, Montgomery County and online listeners. Thank you so very much for checking out Jazzy Fives with Soul. What? You haven't done so yet? Well, you've got to tune in. Hi, I am the host of Jazzy Vice with Soul, Miss Cece Holmes, and I invite you to check us out every Friday and Saturday from 7 until 9 p.m., where you will get the best in old-school R&B and, of course, a little smooth jazz to make it jazzy. So tune in. That's right, tune in. Every Friday and Saturday right here on Conroe's 104.5 and 106.1 FM or worldwide at IRLongstar.com. And welcome back to the Extension Hour here every Friday. And I mentioned before, it's a, we're playing on Facebook Live, and you can go back and listen to it on Facebook. But speaking of Facebook, that's actually a good place, um, in some cases, <laughs> to in find more places, yeah. information. Um, like, yeah, there's a lot of lot of lot of Facebook, just like internet information. So some of it gets it can be inaccurate, um, but we like to. Th- think that ours are very accurate. So there is a Path to the Plate uh, Facebook page, right? Yes, so it's just yeah, called Path to the Plate? Yeah, fa- Facebook slash Path to the Plate. Mm-hmm. That, that easy. It's one, one all word together. And there's also a website, Path to the Plate. Dot T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. You can find blogs about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, blueberries and corn and uh, all sorts of different things. And you'll also see information on antibiotic use and GMOs there as well, if you're interested in that. And I also know that, you know, the county, local county has has a Facebook page, right? We do. We do. Montgomery County, Texas A&M, AgriLife Extension Service. Um, our Master Gardeners have a Facebook page. We have Healthy Living in Montgomery County. Um, and there's 4-H. Yep. Uh, Facebook page as well. So, and then we have website, and th- so there are a lot of good places to get information. Um, speaking of uh, Master Gardeners, they do have a plant sale coming up mm-hmm. before uh, we f- forget to mention that. So January 25th will be the uh, fruit and nut tree sale, and then they'll have the spring plant sale sometime in March, and then of course the fall plant sale will be later on in fall. And then you've got some. Um, We've got some schooling shows coming up for. Um uh, horses, uh, youth involved in a cult project here in the Montgomery County Fair, but it's also open um, to horse enthusiasts that just need to get their horses out. And it'll be every Tuesday night starting on the 14th. It'll be the 14th, 21st, and 28th Tuesday evenings out at the Montgomery County. Of January. Yeah, Montgomery County Fairgrounds in January. Okay. So. Yeah. so, Dr. Hale, we just have a couple yeah. of minutes left. What, yeah, what's I, like I, some know, final thoughts you'd like to share? It might be important for... Um, for the public, just to know where do I find good information. So, so generally, if you're going to see something as .com or even .org, you know, you think, well, that's an organization. Well, that generally is an organization that has a specific per, you know, p- p- marketing plan that they're trying to market their organization. So, what is a reliable website, for example? Well, anything generally that is .edu, particularly if it's a land grant college, a land grant college like Texas A&M. Uh, and Texas A&M AgriLife Extension is one of the branches of that land-grant college. So, you know, .tamu.edu uh, is a fairly reliable, is a very reliable source. And then also, if it says .gov, you know, uh, as I look at it, we get a lot of our information 
from .gov, USDA, uh, as well as FDA, as well as EPA. Their websites are very accurate because we are actually feeding a lot of that information through the land-grant system. So we'll do the research, for example, and much of that information that we produce, along with our USDA research arm, will be presented uh, in fact sheets that are online that are .gov uh, sites. Also Texas, mm -hmm. you know, Texas Department of Agriculture, Texas Department of Health. So those are all .gov. So if it's .gov or .gov or .edu, so that's G-O-V or E-D-U, then those sites are generally reliable sites that mm -hmm. you can look for. And right. if you have any questions, of course, we should talk to our local county agents. Yes. And we have, you know, here great two great Pats of the Plate champions, one of the few counties in the entire state that have two Pats of the Plate champions that have gone through a year-long training in looking at food and how it's raised and the health perspectives of those foods and how you go from uh, from the production of a food all the way to the plate. So they even know the processing side of that as well. And so you're lucky to have both Amy and Brandon here that can help you kind of weed through, uh, look through the weeds versus what's really true out there. And I think mm -hmm. that uh, that's a valuable asset that I hope the county really respects and understands. Yeah. And we also mentioned like every county has um, is served by an extension service. So there are yes. um, others like us throughout the state. Um, and then also, you know, throughout the nation, there's other extension services that um, we uh, that are great as well. Brandon, last thought. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> We're about yeah. time, so. so any questions, people definitely can call us 936-539-7825. Um, um, we are in Conroe at 9020 Airport Road. Um, we have a lot of people that just stop by to say hi and ask questions because sometimes you just want to see people in person. But um, And as you and mentioned, they online as well. They come by and well. see your gardens. Yes, because I mean, you, they're you gorgeous. Must, they said they had over 400 yeah. people that are involved in your Master Gardener program. Mm -hmm. I think people, and also the Junior Master Gardeners, I think that's another good way for people to help connect path to the plate because they do vegetables as well as fruits and nuts and things like that as well as landscape and ornamentals yeah so definitely there's more things we could talk about but we are out of time for today dr hale thank you so much for coming and and it's being with be us here. today it's great to have you thanks again brandon for coming out we'll be back next week and of course every friday one to two right here on lone star radio see you soon uh -huh.